Welcome to SurfCast. Thank you for joining me. Today's episode is a little bit longer than normal. Let me encourage you to stick around to the very end of this episode. It's an interview with my friend, Dr. Matt Ryerson. Now, you may remember Matt has been on SurfCast previously. He is now the um, president uh, and CEO of United Way Greater Knoxville. Previously, he was in United Way Okoye region, particularly in Cleveland, Tennessee, our home base. But I want you to know this conversation, I think, is applicable to just about anybody that would listen. So rather than just listen by yourself, invite a friend or be sure to uh, share this episode wherever you pick up your podcast. Looking forward to this conversation and we'll be right back with our conversation with Matt Ryerson. Welcome to SurfCast. This is not your first time, no. but you're in a new city, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, William. It's great to be here. It's great to be back. Yeah, I'll be back, and I'm actually enjoyed the little drive up today to be with you here in Knoxville. Great place, man, by the way. So yeah. you moved from Cleveland to Knoxville, still doing United Way business. Tell me a little bit, a little bit about an update on what's happening right now. Yeah, so I uh, picked an interesting time to come to a new organization. Uh, they failed to mention there would be a global pandemic in the first <laughs> six months. Uh, or but, more. Yeah, yeah. And, and so it has been really an extraordinary time to be in the work of serving your community. And uh, here in Knoxville, it's no different. Uh, in East Tennessee, we have incredibly giving people who want to serve, they want to volunteer, they want to be generous to their friends and neighbors. Uh, and uh, that, that puts us in a very special place. So when you talk about this pandemic, so that's not the only thing affecting us. We obviously are in a bit of a, um, man, trying to figure out how we can love everybody different than us in a world of mm -hmm. just extreme chaos. Obviously, this idea of racism and all the things that are affecting us in the world today so what I want to dig into in this conversation is, and the reason I thought you'd be the best fit for this, is how do organizations lead during a pandemic, during um, the, and I don't know if the woes is the right term or not, but the woes of a, uh, a transition from racist to, you know, not being racist, but then also, you know, um, being an advocate to eradicate racism, which right. is a whole different conversation and a whole different right. discussion. So really, I don't have a, a, a direction per se in that regard, other than I just want to talk about what can organizations do. So in order to do that, give us a little history about how you've seen organizations change mm -hmm. and where you think organizations in general are right now, because how many organizations are United Way here serving? Oh, goodness. Uh, through multiple funds, over 100. Over 100. Yeah. Okay. So talk to us a little bit about the organizational structure. Where are we at in common day with organizations? Yeah. And so what, what's really interesting is we go back a little bit in time. Uh, if you go into change management theory and all the stuff that I know you study and teach on, uh, historically, we've got some great uh, case studies to, to help us understand best practices. Mm -hmm. But... The challenge of today is the pace has changed, right? Okay. So when you look back over time, uh, transition and change happened relatively slowly. I suspect when we were living through it, we didn't think it was slow. But, but in comparison to today's standards, 
uh, it was relatively slowly. So this global pandemic for most organizations has created a, a situation where the pace of change has been dramatic, mm -hmm. where what seems like overnight our operations of face-to-face -face staff meetings quickly shifted to sure. Zoom meetings. And I wish I had had stock in Zoom, by the oh, way. Oh, yeah, yeah. That would have been a genius <laughs> investment just six months ago. Uh, but when we when we look at just those simple factors, how do mm -hmm. we operate? What does what does the ownership of a building organizationally mean today versus three months ago? It has sure. probably changed our vision. And so I think the nature of in operating and leading in these times, the nature of most people is to step back in times of chaos, in times of uncertainty, uh, in times of change. There is something, the security of our nature, uh, the protective factor, there is a, a desire to lean back, to step away from the chaos. And the reality is for those of us, and I know that your audience is a bunch of servant-minded individuals, uh, for those of us that tend to want to serve, uh, now is a time that maybe be in our lifetime the greatest opportunity to serve people in need uh, than any other time in my life. And so what that requires of us, what, what then I think is incumbent upon us, is that we lean into uh, and fight that urge to step back to become conservative. Uh, and you know, that's scriptural, right? Sure. Times are, times are, are good, mm. we should save. We mm. should maybe be conservative. Times get bumpy, now's the time to invest in. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is, is the same philosophy in serving in the nonprofit world and doing our mission. Uh, and, and the word mission is key in all this. We don't want to get outside of our mission, mm -hmm. but now is the time to double down. What is it that we do? Who do we serve? How do we serve those individuals? Mm -hmm. And how have their needs grown today? How do we meet those needs? And mm -hmm. so, uh, Literally, before you got here, we were on a staff meeting and we were talking about the second half of this year. Uh, and working remotely, uh, which my staff is, is mostly doing right now, as, as many people are, not just in the state of Tennessee, but across the entire country, um, there can be a sensitivity to or, or, or an urge or a desire. The distractions of home mm -hmm. can very easily... Sure pull me towards the TV or pull sure. me towards Facebook or pull me towards mm -hmm. my kids. And, mm -hmm. and what happens is my eight hour day, my nine hour day becomes a five hour day or six hour mm -hmm. day. Uh, and, and for us, our team, we were like, how do we make the most of our time? How do we strategize? How do we understand that the world is gonna be different? So our work from a year ago is gonna look significantly different in the second half of the year. So the challenge I gave just to my staff is mm -hmm. go through what last year, the second half of last year looked like. Take notes and then evaluate each of them and say how realistic is that in the current environment. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, for most of our work, and I'm not talking about the United Way, I'm talking about most nonprofits, most churches, mm -hmm. that work looks differently. Hope is not a strategy. Mm -hmm. We gotta have hope, we gotta have faith. Mm -hmm. But it's not a strategy. We can't lean on, boy, I hope this virus goes away and I can get back to doing business sure. the way I always did it. The reality is we have to say, okay, let's assume that the virus continues to plateau at this high level, or yeah. when school starts, maybe we see a spike and an increase and there's a shutdown. 
we need to have a strategy in place that yeah. doesn't make us incapable of accomplishing our mission. Mm -hmm. One of the greatest strategists that I, I've listened to and I hear on occasion is um, Craig Rochelle, you know, mm -hmm. and he talks about this idea that innovation, you know, is born out of yeah. limitation. Yeah. So basically you have a limiting moment and then you've got this innovative moment, you know. So what are some ways that you're seeing and better yet, how could you encourage and coach organizational leaders to do just that, to mobilize on their innovation while the tendency to be frustrated with the ongoing limitation. Right, right. You know, uh, there was a, a mentor of mine that years ago said, you know, strategic plans are, yeah. are, are great for a bookshelf and to gather dust. Yeah. Uh, a strategic vision that nice. makes, makes an impact. And, and I, I tend, I have adopted that philosophy in my time with that mentor to, to really say, uh, as we're the analogy of driving down a highway, every off-ramp we should be evaluating. And every off-ramp represents a, an opportunity, hmm. right? So what does that opportunity mean to us? Is that off-mission? Is that a distraction? Does that take us in the wrong direction? If so, we bypass it. We keep going down the, the highway. However, we see a traffic jam called COVID-19 sure. that has traffic dead stopped in front of us and we have an exit opportunity, which might be, uh, I do a mentoring program for youth. What does that look like when most of my mentors meet with their kids once a week? Man, we're gonna invest in the technology to make sure that we can continue to invest mm -hmm. in these kids remotely to keep them and their family safe, to keep our volunteers safe as well, but to continue to be able to invest in those individuals. Is it the same? No, it's not exactly the same, of course not. But do we? is there a way to invest in those technological, those remote experiences mm -hmm. in a way that becomes just as meaningful and at times, even more meaningful. And what I mean by that is, I, I'm not saying you can replace face-to-face -face interaction. Sure. I, th I think that's going to be important and meaningful. But I think remote communication does require a little more attention to detail and what we're communicating. I don't have the luxury of watching your nonverbals, recognizing you're not digesting what I'm giving to you and rephrasing it. Sure. So it, it requires me then to say at my first go around, I need to make sure that I'm doing everything I can to clearly communicate my message in a way that mm -hmm. it's received as intended. Mm -hmm. And that I think is a silver lining in this and it creates communication avenues that maybe are more successful in delivering the message the first time around. Mm -hmm. I'm a classic example. I'm a hand talker, I'm yeah. a nonverbal guy. Yeah. And so I tend to watch the people I'm talking with or the audience I'm speaking to, yeah. pulling their nonverbals in and responding to those nonverbals. That's all been stripped away yeah. from me. And it's really one of my strengths, right? And I'm like, gosh, you just literally taken away my strength and force me to go into an environment that I'm not near as comfortable. Mm. You know, every good leadership book will say, that is a great opportunity for us to grow our toolbox, to grow mm. our skill set, that we can practice the things that we don't always uh, necessarily do. For me, I would always schedule face-to-face -face meetings because I knew I was much stronger in that environment. Now mm. people won't do it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm starting to say, okay, how do I keep 
my donors engaged in a way that I used to do face to face, but now I can't. Mm -hmm. And so that has created, uh, I'll give you one small example of this that, that we have done as a team uh, to great success, I'm really pleased with, in that we have started as a team writing handwritten notes daily nice. to donors, to volunteers, to partners, whoever it might be, keeping a log. We're well over 2,000 handwritten thank you notes mm -hmm. coming out of this office in COVID-19. Those handwritten thank you notes have an impact. I'm getting feedback from somebody saying, hey, I got your handwritten note. That was really nice. I haven't gotten a handwritten note in six years. months. Yeah, yeah. So, years. Yeah. yeah, so it's one of those experiences that we're like, okay, that is a touch point where I would have much rather met him in a restaurant, got a coffee mm -hmm. with him, shook hands with him, looked at him eye to eye, can't do it. So what's the next best option? What are strategies that I can employ? And that has really required us to think outside the box mm -hmm. and innovate. And, and that to me is probably a silver lining for the world mm -hmm. is that if you're a church, how do you deliver the gospel mm -hmm. in a way that I used to do it from the pulpit with an audience that I could engage that I no longer can do. Sure. And, and I think churches are, are really interesting in this and a really interesting case study. And, and after this is all over, it'll be interesting to see um, my family, for example, church going family, go to church every Sunday, sure. go to lunch afterwards, uh, talk about the sermon, go home, go on with our life, try to live our life best in line with scripture as we understand it. Mm -hmm. uh, now it's not unusual for me to listen to four sermons, nice. five sermons yeah. in a Sunday. You know, over the course of me being at home doing some yard work, I'm plugging it in. I'll see something on Facebook, see a church in Alabama. I've never seen that church. Listen to that 20-minute mm. sermon, 30-minute sermon. Mm. I'm getting exposed to all sorts of styles, sure. all sorts of scripture that I wouldn't have been if I would have been going to church. Now, what does that mean on a grander scale? for the reach of the kingdom, mm -hmm. I suspect there are people that aren't familiar with the gospel that are seeing it on Facebook. At some point, they're pushing play and going, okay, what is all this about? Yeah. And if that church was having a Sunday service as usual, would they have put as much effort into making sure that production was getting out into the world? I don't mm -hmm. know. I suspect there's more of it now than there was prior to. Sure. And that, can that be an incredibly positive thing <clears throat> for the church world? I would argue yes. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, what do we do with that going forward? Are we putting a Band-Aid on this mm -hmm. situation to say, I can't wait till we get past COVID-19? Um, or are we saying, what can we learn from our experiences now that we apply in the future, sure. organizationally, individually, or as a family? Mm -hmm. So you're, you're talking about a subject that I think a lot of us want to ignore, and it's this idea of self-awareness. So I am friends with a lot of pastors. A lot of pastors are obviously um, working through this process, you know, of how do they communicate to their church, you know, during this, and how yeah. do you do safe distancing and all those kind of things. Um, my, my brother pastors a, a small church in Georgia, and he told me recently, uh, now he's probably, he and his wife, they're phenomenal musicians and singers, unlike me, I'm not, but... So every night... Don't sell yourself I'm short, not, Matt. It's, I'm <laughs> not. You know me and you know I'm not. Um, <clears throat> anyway, they, they every night from like 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock or 8 o'clock, I guess it's 7 to 8 now, you know, they'll get online. And he told me, he said, COVID did me a favor. He said, I'm pastoring more people now than I've ever pastored yeah. in a lifetime, you yeah. know? And, and but the, the point I'm making is self-awareness has a way of either propelling us into become innovators 
are, it has the potential to sideline us. So let's talk personal for a minute. You know, you are a, a kind of a go-getter guy. You are the kind of guy who, who loves the, you know, in, in-person type of interaction. So what have you become self-aware about yourself as a leader? And how have you kept that from sidelining you in the yeah. middle of a complete chaotic world in which we now reside in for everybody? You know, right. chaos has been a reality for a lot of people, but now it seems to be a reality for everybody at yeah. some level. Yeah. How are you dealing with the self-awareness? What are you learning about yourself? How are you applying that to be a better leader to prevent being sidelined in the middle of this time when you need to be at your best ever to make yeah. sure people's lives are made change? Yeah, uh, a, a few thoughts. Does I that wanna, make sense? Yeah, it does. I wanna come back to at the end of this that <clears throat> my answer to the racial injustice issues that sure. our country and our communities are facing because that's something that's really become uh, an eye-opener for me personally uh, and organizationally. But uh, on a lighter note, yeah. uh, you know, Zoom, you, you see who you're talking to, but you see yourself and hearing all the people that don't touch your face. Yeah. I touch my face all the way time. more than all I realized. I was like, yeah. what? and I talk with my hands yeah. an awful lot. Yeah. I mean, I knew that, but I didn't realize it. So, yeah. You know, you can hide the self-view. I know, I know. I, I know, actually I should, find I myself looking at myself more <laughs> than looking at the people I on the call. I'm, I'm like, like, what? I'm making any eye contact with, except with myself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But uh, so two things on a positive note. Um, this is uh, an environment that, that I, I thrive in. Yeah. Um, chaos, change, uh, innovation, is, I throw that word in there. For me, this is, this is not only comfortable, but I get energized by it. And I don't want that, to, I don't want to, I want to be really clear. I'm not energized by COVID-19 or the destructive factors of it. But the environment that it's created, I think for me, is, is something that's in my wheelhouse. I think uh, I didn't realize, even though I might have known that I was an extrovert and a relationship person, I didn't realize how much because mm-hmm. the days where I'm working remotely from home, sure, I really struggle. Like yeah. I feel an urge, I gotta connect with somebody, and yeah. and and that that has created some stressors yeah. at home, right? That you're with your family days on end without a break and. And all of a sudden, you, you kind of nipping at each other, mm-hmm. and it, 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 it takes some awareness to say, "Man, this isn't this isn't us. This mm-hmm. is the current environment, and you got to mitigate that. Find a way." For me, uh, that that has been the mit- most difficult. But I think a lot of people have really realized, "Am I an introvert?" And that if so, this environment really is great mm-hmm. to work remotely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for us extroverts and relationship-oriented sure. people, it's difficult. And so. Uh, but in the midst of this chaos, there is this underlying theme, which has always been there and is really uh, reared up as an important issue in our time. And that is this, uh, the issues of racism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and what is interesting about this moment, uh, and I, I've adopted this phrase, this should be a movement, not a moment. And I, I tend to believe that with what we're talking about, the the equality issues, the the justice issues that we're describing, is that um, this this time is really exciting to me in that it is forcing most of us to no longer be neutral. Sure. And and what I mean by that is what I've become self-aware of is the issues of racism, I would generally uh, frame myself as 
anti-racist, that I am pro-equality, uh, and, and I've spoken on that. Mm -hmm. But if I'm really honest with myself, I've probably positioned myself more in a position of neutrality mm -hmm. than I have as an advocate for equality. Um, and that's really been exposed to me and, and been a really challenge, uh, a challenging moment for me and my family about, okay, what is it that we need to do, mm -hmm. not just passively sit back and in our dinner table say, you know, that's wrong, but to rather say, how do I, and I love the phrase you, or the term you used, ally, how do I become an ally mm -hmm. uh, for my brothers and sisters, people of color? Sure. How, do, how do I support them in a way uh, that combats this, mm -hmm. this issue that has been long existing and was so easy for me as right. a white person to, <clears throat> to, to not realize, not pay attention to, to ignore, if mm -hmm. I'm being really fair. Um, and it's really easy for me to say, no, 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 I, I've got friends mm -hmm. who are black. True. Um, you know, that's, that's great. That's wonderful. We should all strive for that. But that's not enough. Mm -hmm. What is it that I can do? And I think what's interesting about this time in our world is it's not really allowing, and this is probably a good thing, for neutrality. Meaning that the conversation is being forced. Sure. I, I, I talked uh, with the head of the Urban League here in Knoxville earlier this week. And she said, Matt, if we're ready for it, we can have some very uncomfortable conversations with the understanding that these uncomfortable conversations can lead us to a place of change sure. and actually have an impact. Mm -hmm. And I was listening to her, and, and she's an extraordinary leader, uh, Phyllis Nichols here in, in Knoxville. And I thought, you know, this is a moment in time that if we invest and accept and acknowledge, hey, I have been complicit mm -hmm. in ways that I didn't even realize. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be a shame on you, but rather a recognize those problems and how do I make it better mm -hmm. in the future um, and it starts with listening, right, sure. and learning. And so many times, mm -hmm. uh, again, to wrap up your question about self-awareness, uh, this is an issue, the issue of racism. In, in my experience, if I've seen a problem at the United Way, I, I convene and I say, how do we fix it? Sure. Um, this is not that type of issue. I, I don't convene a group of people and say, mm -hmm. how do we fix it? Uh, there's got to be a learning curve. Yeah. Uh, there has to be a listening tour that I personally take, that I have to better understand. I have to understand my own biases, my own uh, issues, my own challenges, my own background. And then how do I, throughout my organization, make that a part of the DNA? Not mm -hmm. that racism or equity is an issue, but that is an underlining factor in everything we do. Mm -hmm. If we're hiring people, if we're funding an organization, if we're partnering, if we're looking at doing a, a public service announcement, not even about racism, about something else, how do we incorporate equity into that conversation? Because mm -hmm. that's really where it lies. And I'll share with you a, a quick story. Right here, we're in Mechanicsville. Yeah. This, this part of Knoxville is called Mechanicsville. It's a, it's a long historic, uh, lower socioeconomic area of Knoxville. I have a great heart for this part of the community. 
Uh, and just down the street, literally just a few blocks from here, there's a college. It's called Knoxville College. Mm -hmm. Most people are completely unaware of that. It is a black college uh, and it has a rich history, but has fallen on the last decade, decade and a half, two decades, fallen on hard times, lost its accreditation, still hanging on, still in mm -hmm. existence. Uh, but if you go back to the 60s, for example, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave mm -hmm. a commencement speech here. Mm -hmm. uh, it has a long history of great champions. Um, but the fall of that college is directly associated with some of our systemic problems sure. in our community. And so for me, I don't understand all that. I don't, I don't want to pretend to know all that. So I literally made an appointment with the uh, president, the interim president of that college, and said, hey, can I come over to see you? Can you teach me? Can you tell me about the history? And I, I want a tour of campus. I want to see it for myself. And the truth is, I don't think he gets a lot of requests for that, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. He said, absolutely, Matt, I would love for you to come <clears throat> over. So literally later today, I'm getting that tour. And oh, that nice. begins my journey of... How do I learn more about where I am at, where are we at as a community in this time in mm. history? And then how do we shape the future and make mm. that more equitable? You know, and I, I appreciate you leading into that way because it's obviously a challenge for me, you know, and I, I, um, I'm going to say this and people are going to maybe cringe on it when I say it, you know, I'm a dying breed, you know, the middle-aged white man in a sweater vest. You know, you've heard me <laughs> laugh about that before, right? I really am a dying breed. You know, but the concern I have, and I think the reality is, is that listening is a key element of all of this. You know, you heard me tell the story of my son, Tyler, many years ago that when he was six years old, you know, and I was, he was talking to me and finally, you know, he walked over and put his hands, he's now the father of my grandchildren. He put his hands on my, uh, on my face and he leaned in and he said, Dad, you're not listening to me. You know, many times I will go back to that moment in the house, knowing where I was sitting, remembering that, inst that instant moment that I was challenged to focus only on him. And I think that a concern for me, and I'd be open to your, your, your conversation on this, is how do we help people understand the balance? Now, I, I, um, I work in the academy, you know, and the academy has um, people on every imaginable side of every line you could ever draw, you know, politics, uh, religion, yeah, theology, yeah. everything, right? But I think this is a bigger issue because I think this is a, a, a human factor. And I think it's in, uh, one of the things I really liked about MLK Jr., one of the things I, I've been to the MLK Center in Atlanta, one of the things I really liked about him is he was more about equity than he was anything else. Yeah, equality is a key issue, but equity is a real proponent of that. And so how do we help people when you know we see the, the protesting, which is absolutely long overdue in many ways but then you see rioting coming in in the middle of that you yeah. know which is incredibly yeah. problematic right so um i wish i'd paid more attention to mr harrell's ninth grade history class both years i took it matt <laughs> you get it you heard that right <laughs> both years i took ninth grade history i wish i had paid attention to mr harrell instead of counting the holes in the ceiling you know yeah. how do we help people balance this idea of I want to learn more, I want to know more, I want to be more aware, because any and every organization listening to us today, if they open their eyes, they're going to be impacted by this issue. Yeah. How can we balance between drawing assumptions and conclusions so quickly and so easily while holding to things that we deem 
so incredibly important and valuable to our history, but yet be open and loving and caring for people who are different than us? Yeah. Um, boy, that's, that's, the, that's the million dollar question, right? And so I, one thing I feel really strongly about is that we've got to stop getting our information from social media. There you go. Right. So that. Well, our, our news too. Both of them are difficult. Right. Right. You know, right. Both of them so, are difficult. so anything that is based in a number of characters or a soundbite is not going yeah. to give us the full context. Now that requires intentionality, which means we're going to read uh, long articles or books that sure. we're going to listen to long form interviews mm -hmm. where contextually things make more sense. And I think that's the key factor. Contextually is a key proponent. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I, I think it <clears throat> requires an intentionality for us to commit our time, which is our most valuable resource to literally say, I am going to spend time listening and hearing. And, and that is, and, and you're right What that story about your son. And I've heard that story many times. It's so powerful. Um, because I think for all of us, myself included, that is one of the hardest things with the pace of the world and everything that's going on. So often I am listening to you talk to prepare my response. Okay. And the truth is I should be listening to you to talk to learn. Okay. Right? And so it should be me digesting and then formulating either questions or a response or whatever issue. Mm -hmm. But we in this world have trained ourselves and social media is a great tool for this mm -hmm. in the most negative way that we are listening to respond. Yeah. And that is, that, therefore I'm not growing, I'm not learning because all I'm doing is thinking counterpoint to whatever point you're trying to make. Now I went to law school and this is sure. a big part of our training, right? Is that you're learning. Argumentative by nature. Right. It's right. how you win. That's right, yeah. right. One thing I did love about law school, and this was first year law school, and I'll never forget, it was uh, uh, a, a professor that I just loved. And he challenged us to think about an issue that we were passionate about. And so we all thought of these issues, and he said, all right, you're going to write a brief on that issue legally. And he'd give us a case uh, related to whatever issue we selected. And so I selected my issue, and uh, he said, all right, you're going to take a position on this. You got a position? I said, yes, I'm very passionate about this issue, and this is where I stand. And he said, excellent. You're going to write a brief for the other side. Nice. And I remember going, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't like the other side. And he said, exactly. Now, his goal in this was to make us better debaters. Uh, but what it required of me was to actually learn. And to pay attention to Mr. Harrell's history class. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Now, I didn't, it didn't change my beliefs, sure. but it did give me a better understanding of where the other side was. Once I started researching for myself, why would they take this position and where do they stand on it? I started going, okay, I don't, still don't agree and my beliefs haven't changed, but now I view people in that position completely differently. And that was a really a transformative moment for me that challenged the way I looked at everything, right? Because now I'm looking at... Uh, the issue was not race, but now I'm looking at the issue of race and I'm going, you know what? I can't possibly understand right. the experience of a young black man in America mm -hmm. because I'm not. Sure. And so I need to readjust my lenses. And I got a great personal example of this. I got married in 
Small town Mississippi. My wife is from a long as time you know. ago. Yeah, a long time ago. As you know, my four kids ago, right? Four kids ago, right? <laughs> and uh, by the way, shout out to Heather. <laughs> yes, and so Heather, uh, my wife, is from a small town of Mississippi. William knew her from a very young age, uh, way back in church camp. But uh, I, w- I had a very diverse wedding party, and so I had uh, two black friends, a Puerto Rican a Cuban, and my brother. So uh, we were literally getting set to go to Mississippi as a group and going over there for the rehearsal dinner and all that. And I'll never forget one of my friends, uh, his name is Demetrius, black guy, says, hey, Matt, is this safe for us? And we all started joking about it. But it was a real question for this guy from Chattanooga to be driving across the South to a small town in Mississippi, and he knew the history of Mississippi, and he is seriously asking me, is this safe? You know what's interesting about the story? One of the two black guys in my wedding party uh, was in Chattanooga the night before my wedding. And he's, he had to work, so he's going home after work, loading up, and driving to Mississippi. He gets pulled over in Chattanooga. True story. Yeah. Uh, has an unpaid parking ticket. I've experienced this myself. In the glove box, wherever, forgot about yeah. it. Um, or just ignore it. Just ignore it. it that might have happened. <laughs> For him, forgot about it. Yeah. Got pulled over. Please take him out. Find that he has an unpaid parking ticket. Cuff him. Take him to the station. He spends the night in jail. Mm-hmm. He made it to my wedding the next day. Wow. Didn't slip, sleep a, a lick. Scared to death. Sitting in a jail cell all night. Yeah. He had never been in a jail cell. And it, it wasn't until, and that is, what now, 16, 17 years ago, it isn't until now that I started thinking back to that experience. And unfortunately, he has since passed away. I just talked to his widow recently. And it was just now that I started thinking about, does Matt Ryerson go to jail that night mm-hmm. if I have an unpaid parking ticket? And we know the reality is probably not. Sure. Probably not. That was a very different experience. So how does that frame up my worldview about when I see a policeman, I see a helper, I see somebody that keeps mm-hmm. me safe. My friend Vincent, how did he view the police? Sure. That he probably had a very different view on that. Now, he happened to be an advocate for our emergency services. He was a mm-hmm. champion. He also was a pastor. Great guy. Yeah. Um, but he had a different perception in it is only now, unfortunately, after he's passed, that I'm starting to realize some of those lessons that I had a particular life bias about mm-hmm. that I'm starting to now understand. So you're talking about self-awareness. I think it's really a time for us all to take a hard look in the mirror and reflect on what is our experience mm-hmm. and what, how is somebody else's experience different mm-hmm. and how do I place myself in that role to help understand the pain, the anguish, the anger, mm-hmm. the frustration, and how does that impact all of that's going on in the world? And then coming back to this podcast, which sure. is how do I serve? How do I better serve this? How do I become an ally, a champion? How do I do more? Because I am fairly certain that this world isn't really a place for those that want to be neutral. Yeah. I think it's now a place for those that are going to be an advocate 
for those who are oppressed, those that are hurting, those that are paid. And I'm not just talking about racism sure. only. COVID-19, sure. a whole lot of people Any imaginable. Jobs. That's right. How do I now play a role in yeah. helping those that are around me, or as we like to say, our neighbors? Sure. You used a term a while ago. You said, you know, um, a lens to be able to look differently, you know, to be able to see differently. Uh, our friend Cliff Schimmels, you know, who yeah. is now passed and, and uh, deceased, but seems to be living on every day in many of his students, talks about or talked about a filter. Yeah. Matt, how can we develop a different lens? I know you're saying listening, but I want to dig in just a little bit more. What are some today practical ways? So somebody's listening to this and they're like, okay, so I'm willing to listen, but how can they develop a filter to be able to identify what's an appropriate or an inappropriate source that we're viewing? How can we um, develop a, a better lens? You know, everybody says, okay, so I'm colorblind. There's a lot of discussion about the whole idea, you know, when a white person says they're colorblind. You know, there's a whole different, yeah. that's another whole different story. There's a lot of research in that or at least, um, you know, articles that have been written about that. But how do we develop that? How do we develop a filter? How do we develop a, uh, a better awareness to listen? You know, that's, that's a great question. And, and the truth is, I don't have all the answers. I certainly don't. Um, but I, I'll tell you, the personal journey I'm going on yeah. is that, uh, Phyllis Nichols, who, who who talked to me about being uncomfortable yeah. and, and being comfortable with being uncomfortable. And to me, what that was is it gave me permission to ask questions and engage conversations that make me a little anxious, mm-hmm. right? And so later today, I'm going over to Knoxville College. Sure. I'm going to ask, what happened here? Why is this not what it was yeah. and and what contributed to that now i have my suspicions and it, the answer may make me as a white guy a little uncomfortable sure but the reality is i probably need to hear this mm-hmm. right no and, and i and I, I think for us to get comfortable with saying okay this step might make me a little uncomfortable because it might turn around to maybe i haven't done enough maybe i've been a little too neutral maybe mm-hmm. i have my own biases sure but I think to accept that is the only way we get to the other side. Sure. Um, you know, I, I was thinking back to, to, to my friend, um, and, and this is an important thing, and I just heard this. I was, I was uh, Our United Way Network did a, a podcast where we brought in a trainer to talk about how do we engage in this very conversation mm-hmm. in our community many of which are very uncomfortable conversations. And I was thinking about two friends. And I, and I have this habit of asking all, all, all really deep conversation questions. And so I have this buddy whose parents are straight from Cuba. Yeah. And, uh, and, and there was a while ago where there was a lot of discussions about the relations with Cuba. Should we allow tourism? Should we not? You know, and there's a lot of history there. So I, I would call my friend and say, hey, what do you think about this? What, what was your parents' experience? What was your uncle's experience? What are your thoughts now as a Cuban-American? And, and, and I remember at one point him telling me, you know, I, I can't speak for all of Cuba, yeah. right? He was born and raised in Florida, can't speak for all of Cuba. Uh, big shout out to my friend Isaac. There you go. Uh, great guy. Uh, and, and he's right. And I think we've got to be somewhat conscious of this. As, as much as I'm saying I want to go on a journey of exploration, I can't go to my black friend and have him speak for an entire country, sure. uh, you know, population of people. Sure. Uh, there's some fatigue that can happen there. And mm-hmm. we've got to understand that, that uh, this is going to be, have to be a life 
uh, habit, a lifestyle that we adopt that just says, I need to constantly, every time I, I encounter somebody different than me, I have to be comfortable asking the uncomfortable conversations with good intentions, right? We, we don't want to accusatory in nature or challenging, really with a heart of understanding. In my experience, you know, president here at Knoxville College seemed thrilled to be able to say, I want to share the story of Knoxville College. Sure. I'm anxious to share the story. So to be able to go over there and to learn about things like Juneteenth, which I suspect a lot of folks were unfamiliar with until this year, maybe even, or how August 8th is celebrated, mm -hmm. or some of these other events that sure. most of us might not have experienced. We don't have to carry around a burden of shame that becomes a barrier from us from learning more, sure. rather to say, gosh, I should have known about this, tell me about it. Mm -hmm. And how do I better understand what this means to you, right. your family, the generations that came before you, and how should it affect me? How should I view this? Um, <clears throat> those type of questions can be really uncomfortable, but really I think on the other side of that is where we experience growth, right? Mm -hmm. It's only when we humble ourselves and allow ourselves to really acknowledge our lack of understanding that we're going to gain understanding. Mm -hmm. So last question on this topic before we move into some bonus questions for you as we get near the end of this episode. Yeah. Um, the leadership gurus will, will uh, people like Peter Northhouse, Gary Uckel, Kuzis and Posner, Joanna Cullah, they'll talk about leadership and they deduce it down to four values. So leadership is influence. Mm -hmm. Leadership um, occurs in relationships. Mm -hmm. Leadership moves people toward a common goal. And then I think Joanne Cullis said that leadership is a process, meaning that it takes time. We're six months into COVID. Yeah. I was in Honduras when it became public in the U.S. with a group of students from Lee University. Glad you made it back. I, I caught the <laughs> la we caught the last flight out of Roatan. Wow, you might still be there. I might <laughs> still be there. Um, I'm glad to be back, although, man, just another day. But anyway... Um, Matt, how do we encourage our listeners to understand that the process of time is a challenge and don't let it sink you? I'm concerned that so many people, I asked my wife, you know, you want to ride up to Knoxville with me? She's like, I like Matt, but I don't really want to sit in the interview and there's no shopping going on right now. Right, so right. I don't have anywhere to go or anything to do, you know, and so she didn't come with me. Right? Sure. Otherwise, she might would have been with me and dropped her off at Turkey Creek, you know, right. just to do nothing but just look. And But you can't do that now. It's all empty, right? How do we deal with this issue of time as we're trying to become leaders to bring about much-needed change on a lot of fronts? Give your most brilliant, excellent advice <laughs> to leaders who are just about over it. Yeah. And how do they deal with the time factor? Meaning the process. Right. Right. I, I, I think in this, this is, this is, you're hitting me square between the eyes here because this has been a challenge <clears> for me. Uh, you know, one thing that I think I have been accused of in the past, which is true, is that I have a relatively high pace. Um, the interesting thing about this current world is it does invite a slower pace. Sure. Right? And, and so I think, A, that requires patience, but again, it creates opportunity. And so I cracked open a book last night. Now, I say that and with a pause because 
That's, I have moved to audiobooks because audiobooks allow me to multitask, right? I can be out in the yard working on something, I can be putting something together in the house, I can be doing the dishes, and I'm reading a book, listening to a book. I'm mm-hmm. still not sure if I can say I read a book when I've listened to it. But yeah. last night I literally sat on the couch, TV's off, opened a book, and started reading through Novel it. idea, Matt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no pun intended, right? And so I thought to myself, you know, this does allow us as leaders... Sure. To, to take a breather as well, to recognize that while there is opportunity and we need to jump on this and we need to move forward, it does allow us in an almost an old-fashioned way to take a step back, take a deep breath, evaluate where we are, evaluate ourselves, and slow the pace momentarily, right? All the distractions that have typically been out there the going out to eat, the, yeah. the going to the movies, the going to Turkey Creek, go shopping. Those things have been removed. In fairness, that opens up, should theoretically, sure. opens up a lot of time that otherwise, now I'm not suggesting anybody go off and, and watch Tiger King on Netflix. Uh, in fact, I would argue don't get sucked into those fillers that sure. were so anxious. Oh, uh, I can't go see a movie, so I'm going to go to Netflix and watch mm-hmm. something that's really draining my brain. Yeah. Well, how do we fill that time with things that are going to build us up? Mm-hmm. And that's really important, all this. Um, in fact, my wife and I were talking about this self-care element to that, that we have been incredibly blessed uh, during this time. We actually moved during this pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, we have been relatively insulated from all that, and we've had some great family time. But there is, as I've noted at the very beginning of this podcast, there is some anxiety that's been created. We have our oldest daughter has asthma, so she's in a high-risk category of individuals. Uh, Then the lack of knowledge, what's going to happen in the school year, what's going to happen in the world, Mm -hmm. creates some anxiety. Even though I'm not prone to that and I tend to thrive in this atmosphere, there's still this family element of what does this mean for all of us. So there is some self-care that goes into this, and I think this is where... I think, I believe many leaders fail. Mm -hmm. And it's in the self-care element. In the fact that, I think I mentioned earlier the the phrase, this this should be a movement, not a moment. A Mm -hmm. moment requires William Lamb to be out front and everybody to rally around William Lamb. There's an old story about Gandhi that I love Mm -hmm. that I think represent maybe the greatest leadership. And movement rather than moment and that is he was they were on a march mm-hmm. and uh thousands of people are following gandhi and there's a journalist and they pull gandhi aside to interview him and he does the interview and at some point he cuts off the interview and they said wait, wait a minute you gotta go and he said yes those are my people and i am their leader mm-hmm. well what's ironic about that is they never stopped marching wow they weren't they didn't need him out front yeah. to make it to their ultimate goal he had created a movement that yeah. while he was an inspirational figure that that maybe created the movement, the reality is the movement was greater than him. And I think we can only do that when we are in a place of, of health. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't just mean COVID-19 sure. free, sure. but uh, 
we're handling our anxiety in a healthy manner, yeah. that we've adopted healthy living habits, wellness habits and exercise and eating and just self-care in general, mm -hmm. as well as open lines of communication to deal with the stress of this world, which exists. Right. And uh, even though I have been somewhat insulated, the reality is my wife and I have talked in our home and we feel it, that there is a stress in our home that wasn't ex didn't True. exist six months ago. And so to be able to recognize and talk about it and process it, mm -hmm. just that is going to put us in a healthier place. So my challenge to any leader would be start with number one, yeah. right? And not from a selfish perspective, but you can't serve somebody else if you're not in a healthy place. Mm -hmm. In fact, you shouldn't serve somebody else if you're not in a healthy place. Mm -hmm. You've got to make sure that your heart is in a healthy place, that your mind and spirit is in a healthy place, your intentions are in a healthy place, and it's at that point that you can truly have a great impact. Mm -hmm. So just a um, couple of bonus questions here. Bonus questions. Um, favorite book having heard or yeah. read? <laughs> Oh, man, I tell you what. So I am a huge Malcolm Gladwell fan. Yeah. He takes a very economist view to the world. Uh, and, and maybe his most timely book, my favorite book that he wrote was David and Goliath. Fantastic book if you haven't read it. But a timely book considering the uh, imbalance of the world today, Talking with Strangers. It's his most recent yeah, book. Yeah, it's a good book. I'd highly recommend it. Mm -hmm. So I, th I think I listened. <laughs> you listened to it. You didn't I listened read it. To it. I did so, not read it. I did not read it. Um, our friend Cliff Schimmel's also said once before that he has never read the book Mark Twain. And the reason is, is because his memory of his mother, when they would have to put the little chickens in Oklahoma, where they lived, down in the basement, and they would all have to sit down with the little chickens to keep them from freezing to death and kind of keep them warm and everything, um, his mother would read the book to him. And he said the memory of her reading the he book never, wow. was greater. And this guy was an educator of educators, oh, yeah. right? So that said, favorite memory that you want to make sure that you replicate for your kids? Oh, wow. You know, uh, our got, favorite activity, whichever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I've got a couple right off. To, I do want to go back to Cliff Schimmel. Yeah. So, so I, I've never met him, uh, but I he's had a powerful impact on yeah. me because of so many people. And of course, Dr. Bill Estes, a friend of ours, yeah, uh, used to tell me all about Cliff, and it, and at one point gave me one of his books. I do have to be honest with you. This is how long ago is, and shows maybe my tendency gave me his audio book, nice. which was tapes. Uh, cassette tape. Cassette tape. I've got copies. And I listened to him. Yeah. I listened to his, uh, one of his books, at least, on, on cassette tape. Anyways. Did you know that Cliff and I wrote a book together? I didn't know that. That's I'll wild. I'll get you one. Yeah, so he, the one I read was, it was a, a fictional book about running. Yeah, and of course, We Heart Chronicles. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it was great, great yeah. book. Anyways, um, for me, I, for my family, one of the things I love most uh, is the bedtime routine. Mm -hmm. And so, especially with my littlest ones, my older ones are less interested now. We read a book, we pray, and then more often than not, I lay down with our youngest, who's mm -hmm. only five, and help her get to sleep. And there is almost daily a moment where I, I, I say to myself, hold on to this because mm -hmm. it is fleeting, mm -hmm. right? And so for me, uh, I believe that that's something, or I hope, mm -hmm. 
that's something they look back on as that time every night where our daddy put us to bed. And it was, and because I still look at that with my dad and mm-hmm. when he used to read to me and he would lay down with me and yeah. help me go to sleep. And so for me, uh, that, that's something that I really uh, cherish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love that memory. And I think the, 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 the crux of this interview could be wrapped up this way, that we need to become that for the kids in the world who don't have a dad yeah. to put them to bed. Yeah. And I think that's what United Way does here. I know what it did in Cleveland. And, man, I am just so delighted that you would take time today in your busy schedule to uh, to be a guest on Surfcast, Matt. Thank yeah. you so very much. My honor. My Closing honor. thoughts, last moments. You know, I, I, I think today the world has given us, despite the chaos and the hurt and the pain, a wonderful opportunity sure. to hit the reset button, yep. to really reevaluate where we are personally, professionally, what does this look like for us yeah. and our families. And what I would say is try and get through all that anxiety, that stress, and some people are feeling a lot more than others. Mm-hmm. And what exists for us, what do we want to be, what opportunities lie ahead of us, and, and I think that's what's most interesting in this time right now is that if we see this as an opportunity to hit reset and become the better version of ourselves, yeah. how do we make that happen? Yeah. Matt, thank you very much. As I remind you guys always on Surfcast, you're made for more. Today I'm going to do something that we don't always do, and I'm going to invite you to take some time to self-reflect. While you listen to this worship tune by Lee You Worship, what I want you to do is to take a moment and figure out where do you need to listen who do, you need to, who do you need to ask an interview with or a conversation with? And who do you need to make sure can lay down safely in this world tonight? Hey guys, remember, you can make an impact. You can make a difference. We're counting on you. Listen to this and make your list of the things you need to do tomorrow. strength 
Jesus, I love.